Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Sports Beat KC, the Kansas City Stars daily sports podcast. It's Wednesday, April 26th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. We have brought you stories of NFL draft prospects and former and current Chiefs over the past few days. On today's show, we'll keep things in-house. Star columnists Vahe Gregorian and Sam McDowell, along with sports reporter Pete Gradhoff, provide their takes on the NFL draft from a Chiefs and Kansas City perspective. What does it mean for the Chiefs, and what will the Chiefs get accomplished in the draft? But we won't let the Chiefs hog the ball here. After a break, we weigh in on the poor starts by the Royals, the Kansas City Current, and Sporting Kansas City. Okay, let's get started. We never talk anymore, you guys. So it's great to have Vahe Gregorian, Pete Gradhoff, Sam McDowell here to discuss all things Kansas City sports. And as I've said maybe three or four times in the last couple of weeks, I look out the window and see the NFL draft stage. Look at the lights. Quite a little light show right now. It's yeah. A, quite a light show. We've got a great angle on it. It's nice to get together and not just be celebrating you for a change. Player. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, good thing I have editing. Power, you want to elaborate right? on what, what that's about? Hall, Hall of Famer, Blair Kirkhoff. Missouri Sports Hall of Fame. He's a multi-Hall of Famer. They Missouri brought him on Sports before Hall Lorenzo came. That's they how big he is. And, but they yeah. still saved him for late in the show, yes. too. Yeah. Like three hours in to the show. <laughs> <laughs> before, before we heard from Blair. Yes, that was fun. On to more important issues. Um, hey, so uh, let's, let's, let's talk about the draft here uh, in Kansas City holding this thing. You guys have been around the draft uh, grounds. We're recording this on Tuesday afternoon, the draft, of course, Thursday, Friday and Saturday in Kansas City. It's it's going to be quite the party. And it looks like the rain might have left the forecast. That's that's pretty cool. Last that's I saw it, yeah. yeah. And, and, let's, and, let's tie ourselves into forecast predictions. Two days out. We're not making any commitments, but what we're saying is the mandate to not bring umbrellas May not be disastrous. Right, right. Um, so people will only complain about not bringing chairs or seats <laughs> in to, to, to the fan fest area. But uh, no, it's it's it really is quite a sight that we we, we can um, we have here from our office looking at the stage at Union Station, and I'm looking forward to seeing what it's going to be. As inconvenient traffic wise <laughs> and doing our job uh, will be, I am really looking forward to seeing how it's going to play out here. It's going to be different than the. The parades, right? The Chiefs and the Royals parades, because it's going to be inside a fenced perimeter, but still going to be tens of thousands of people coming to Kansas City. Has there ever been a bigger party in Kansas City? Um, Were we ever able to figure out the numbers on the 76th Republican Convention? I tried a, a lot of different ways. 
I mean, I'm from Nexus to you know newspapers.com, whatever, Google, and could never find anything that felt like definitive numbers. But I suspect, I don't know what the, the frame is here, but is it'll certainly be among the, what, two or three, no matter what, two or three most yeah. multi-day event. I right. think that's the key point, right? Multi-day. Well, I think about the convention like I do a basketball tournament. You know, basically the convention filled Kemper Arena for four days. And like a like a Big 12 basketball tournament would do or an NCAA mm-hmm. event. You know, if you walk through the skywalk over from here to Union Station, you'll pass all kinds of photographs, historical photographs. And there's one that has the dedication of the Liberty Memorial. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of people in town for, for that. Uh, in the 1922 or whatever whatever year it was dedicated. So anyway, um, again, big party. Looking forward to seeing it. Seeing how Kansas City is going to like appear on television. You know how what the images are going to be, what ESPN and ABC are going to use to show off Kansas City. So that's, what I, that's actually what I've been most interested in is because this is going to be a lot of people, NFL fans at least. I mean, the most populous cities in America's first taste of Kansas City. Really, I mean. Arrowhead's not in downtown Kansas City. This is smack dab in the middle of downtown Kansas City. And so I love that it's at Union Station. Um, you know, Vahe, Pete, and I are sit, all sitting here. We just got to tour what it's going to look like. And the fact that um, the back of the theater is what they're calling it. I think we just call it the stage. Um, is going to be Union Station itself. And that's not what they've done at most traps. Generally, they put the backdrop down as well. And here... You're going to get to see a, a, a flavor of Kansas City and all of it. Yeah, I talked to one of the the tour person from the NFL, and she said normally we do this at a convention center, so you got to worry about the decor and stuff. She said this place is beautiful already. They just had to bring some couches in, and it's a great for the the green room where the prospects will be is what I'm talking about. That is going to be a great area for them to just kind of get the flavor there. And the Amtrak is still running at the same time. Yeah, I was unclear whether it'll still be running Thursday. It will, she said. She said that, huh? Yeah. Southwest Chief will be coming from Chicago. That's great. What a great way to get here. Can't you pick up the Amtrak and like lease summon or something? Yeah, you can. That's the way to do it, isn't it? We'll come by your house and go there to get in here. That might be our easiest route. I'm not claiming that I where I live. Well, you, you're out east. <laughs> okay. Um, might, might be a spot, though. Or if it's know, coming from the other way, Warden Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just sorry, excuse me. You got to, <laughs> what are you guys here for the draft? <laughs> Pete and I were just talking to a guy who was in Kansas City for the first time, had just come off a train and uh, made the mistake of following us across the link as we were walking back and he needed to get outside. I, I do wonder if there's going to be some orientation uh, complications for people as they come in. Somebody's going to be on a train coming into Kansas City Thursday. Has no idea that the NFL draft's going on. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pretty happening town. <laughs> oh, <Whoa. laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, um, the Chiefs are also part of the draft, but uh, if they hold their pick in the first round, not until the Chiefs won't be part of the draft until very late. Uh, will be the last pick. Uh, it'll be the crescendo of uh, of draft, the first night of the draft. Sam, what are you thinking? What's um, we, uh, we the the stars had? I think four mock drafts so far, and we've covered all the bases in them. Different first round picks, different positions. So, what's what's your feeling 
couple days before the draft. Well, I, th I think that um, the meat of this draft is not really in line with what the Chiefs' needs are. But generally speaking, you get the most value historically out of four positions in the draft when you take quarterback out of the equation because quarterback is drafted based completely on need. Other positions are some teams go based on need, some teams view it as best player available. And the four positions that most outperform their rookie contracts are edge rushers, interior defensive linemen, offensive tackle, and wide receiver. And those are the exact four needs that the Chiefs have. So I don't think the Chiefs should do something crazy and vary from what their own script is because their own script fits just the historical. When I say historical, it's like the last 12 years of data that pro football focus compiled to see how these rookie contracts match up with performance based on positions. So I don't think there's any reason whatsoever to veer off the four positions they have. This is assuming they stick at 31. Um, and I think that gives you quite a, quite a few options because the Chiefs are really well positioned themselves. When I look at the first round, as much as it's going to be about who they pick, I think it's about the position the Chiefs have put themselves in to not have to pick a very specific type of player. They can go with whatever they like at, at those four positions. And I think edge rusher is going to end up making the most sense, but I think any of those four would, would make a lot of sense. One thing that strikes me about this draft and, and the available the players who are available, when when you break it down by position groups, let's just take the four that you that you mentioned, um, inside outside defensive line wide receiver and what was the other tackle, one? tackle. Offensive yeah tackle. offensive yeah. tackle, I don't think there's a great consensus of opinion who the best player at those positions are. Yeah. You, know, you get some disagreement about the the best wide receivers, Addison or Johnson or the Ohio State. Yeah, I think Jack, Jackson uh, Smith and Jigba, I think, is probably the best receiver. But usually we're talking about the best receivers being like top five, at least top ten talents. And I don't think he's that. I think you could get to easily the 20s, if not the deep 20s. And there's only one wide receiver that's been taken, which speaks to – like last year's class was really good at receiver. Mm -hmm. yeah. Tackle's the same way. I mean, tackle is historically a top five is the first one that comes off the board. You're not going to – I don't think – you might not see a tackle taken in the top 10 this year. Um, interior defensive line, I think you're probably going to have one go in the top 20. And then you've got edge rushers, another premier position, premium position that – you know, you might see the Texas Tech kid. You'll see Wilson, Will, yeah. Will Anderson taken early. And then I think, again, you're going to see a gap before, you know, there's there's a lot of guys that maybe go in the late teens or something. So it is bizarre that they might get one of the best five guys at their position that they want when they're picking 31. But that's more because of the talent that's available in this draft at those premium positions. They can guarantee it by trading up. Um, and... It ha happened last year, right, yeah. with McDuffie. But the la the five drafts that Brett Beach has overseen as the Chiefs general manager, they have drafted in the first round twice. That's twice, yeah. Yeah, last year being one one of them with yeah. the two picks. Um, and the other one was when they took Clyde Edwards Clyde Alaire, Alaire yeah. in 2020, which we all kind of think is a, you know, was a mistake now as we look back on it and the way it's turned out. But um, I, I, I don't rule out the possibility of, of them – trading out either trading out of the first round or moving up to the you know somewhere in the low 20s to get who they want yeah I, I think there's a couple things at play this year that aren't usually a play i think trading out is absolutely the best move the least exciting move though and i think that part matters because we're having the draft here in kansas city that i think 
there was some pull from ownership to for Roger Goodell, the commissioner, to get out there the last pick of the night or whatever pick it might be and say the world champion Kansas City Chiefs are on the clock. I don't think that's a, a non I don't a non factor. Um, in which case I think their best move might not be on the table because the Chiefs have done really well when we look at it in not only the second round, but like deep into the second round. Obviously, they got Creed Humphrey and Nick Bolton there a couple of years ago, um, but they've had a whole host of impact starting players in the second round. I don't think the 31st pick is all that different, to be honest, than like the 50th pick. If you can get two of those picks instead of just one at 31, I think that's the move. But it's going to be harder to trade up because they don't have the – for the inverse of this, it's going to be harder to trade up because they don't have the number of picks they had last year. Like they had a lot of draft capital last year when it was, what, five of the top, yeah. like 100 or 102 or something like that. We've got three of the top, like 90-something this year. It's going to be harder to make a move like that. doesn't mean they can't. And as you mentioned, I mean, they, they've – certainly made moves even some of those second round picks they made moves to go get Breland Speaks McCall Hardman like Brett Beach is not afraid to make a move if, if they like a guy if one of those guys that they've got identified is worth the 20th pick is still sitting there at 24 25 it wouldn't surprise me at all if he goes and makes a move for somebody like that it just a quick side point it I guess Brett spoke about this a little bit last year but he, he elaborated again this year it's interesting to envision the fact that as we sit here now they're making calls about trying to feel out who would enable us to move up for what and, you know, just plant the seeds, see, see what might be workable, what might take. So one way or another, the, the prospect of this is forming or not is literally in these moments. And I, I, I just I thought he elaborated on it in a really interesting way the other day, um, whether that means you know, he's it's all part of the smoke screen. It was interesting even too, Sam, we were all there, but speaking um, he was sort of asked about whether he could, it's really okay for him to be able to trade out of the top pick. And he tried to dismiss that a little bit and say, well, that was last year. We were kind of joking about it. And he tried to make the impression that he didn't, didn't have a constraint, but I, I do wonder if he, to your point, really does have a little bit of, there, there's no way he can do that. And it's interesting if that's the case, because to not have a free hand is, is really strange. If, yeah, if I think it's probably it somewhere in between. Um, yeah. I don't think it's no way, but I also think that is a little bit of some, some yeah. pull to, yeah. to have a pick. But I agree with you. I thought it was revealing the way that I think we can go in assuming that they already know what the 20th pick is going to cost them. They know what the 23rd pick is going to cost them. And therefore, right now, that value is just to the pick itself. But once the draft unfolds, it's going to be attached to a player. And that's when they can decide whether or not that move is worth it. Yeah. Question is how many teams have called them on early day two, yeah. mid day two, with the exact same thing? Because I don't think every team does the homework in the same way that Brett Veach outlined that the Chiefs are doing it. I agree, though, that he there is a um, there's a thought of uh, theater involved in this, and there'll be a little bit of a stage presence for the Chiefs and. Uh, I can see some move being – and look, history tells us the Chiefs have moved in and out of the first round the last few years. But I can see them making a little bit of news on the first night just because it's here. You yeah, know? I could too. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, I mean, all four of us sitting here, 
do we not think – I think they should move out of the first round, but do we not think it would be a bummer if they did with the draft here in Kansas City? It, it would. You know, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. Right. Um, but for that night itself. But you would get a charge here that uh, uh, that would be palatable. Yeah. If, if they made if they made a move, because, or, or, if they, or if they kept their just kept their pick, yeah, again it would be the last one of the night. It's the yeah. one everybody's people got here at noon to get to you know, get the fan fest. See they would have been waiting twelve pick. hours or It'd be funny ten hours, and they just get booed. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's interesting about this draft, that I think, is going to be so different because we keep hearing so many comparisons with the last two drafts in Nashville and Vegas, as far as how many people go, the economic impact it has, and. I think we don't really put a ton of credibility to that because it's not the same environment that those last two had. But one of the ways it's not going to be the same is I think you're going to see a much higher percentage of the local population out there than you saw in Nashville and Vegas. Like, I think it's these other drafts that when we watch them on TV, you see every team represented. It doesn't seem like there were more Titans fans or more Raiders fans these last two. I think it's going to be pretty clear that there's going to be a heavy cheese presence out there on Thursday night. I think that's a great point, and I, I suppose reflective of this idea that at least since the draft has become a popular you know, uh, fan event, it's the first time that it's being held in the city where it won the Super Bowl. I guess yeah. theoretically it happened in New York in 1970 after the Jets won. And actually, after the Giants, after Giants, Giants you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it was still wasn't on this scale. It was yet. a Radio City Musical yeah, scale. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't outdoors. And yeah, so I think I think that's a great point, and not one I thought that much about before. I wonder when I was a kid, and we'd pile in the car to go see Grandma uh, and Grandpa, and get on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. We'd play the game. How many different state license plates mm-hmm. would you see? I wonder how long it's going to take to get all thirty-two jerseys, you know, checked off. Here, I imagine it'll take a little longer because it'll be. I, I agree. I think it'll be. I've been looking for a, a Thursday column idea. That is great. <laughs> I'll tell you by the end of that day, I'll be able to tell you exactly how long it takes. <laughs> it'll be the, ja- the Jaguars will be the last one. Out, probably. I don't know how many Miami Dolphins fans are going to be here. I mean, what do they draft? <laughs> yeah, way that's down. Right. It's true. They're going to come for the first round now. I can see you wandering down by the river market looking for. Uh, <laughs> Well, it, not to get too serious here, but who is the fan coming from? You know, there'll be a Miami fan here. I mean, fans. There'll, there'll be Carolina Panthers fans here yeah, because who, of their tra- number, their one pick. number one yeah. pick. Yeah. But, but, one. but in between, in between the number one pick and the home team. Well, like, Pete, you Dolphins thought I remember you saying like 50, this fifty something maybe. I think it's the Dolphins' first pick. Yeah, it is. There's a couple teams with that. But do you really come? Play. Are they coming to see the pick? Or are they coming to be part of the event? Oh. I don't know. We, you need to get inside these people's heads. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember people Sorry, saying when, when the when the Bears had that overall number one pick, you thought that we could see a substantial oh, yeah. Bears presence here. But I don't know about that now. No, I don't think so either. I, you know, the thing is, I think there are people who love the NFL draft. They really get into the whole pomp and circumstance, and maybe getting on TV, being that crazy fan. And there will be those people. And then the fan fest is going to be if you've got kids. Why wouldn't you bring your kids to FanFest? And like Sam said, being here in Kansas City, this is going to be the once in a lifetime, probably. Uh, I mean, at least for our kids till they're adults to say they went to the draft. And so that would be, be a big impact. I, I don't know about your guys' neighborhoods, but mine has. We, we've, I've got a, a Raiders flag flying, a Tennessee Vols flag flying. We've got all kinds of teams. Mm-hmm. On your front door? Not on my, <laughs> in my neighborhood. But if as long as you want to know what's on my front door, I'll, I'll be happy to share that. Um, no, no flags. 
the flags. Uh, but all kinds of teams, and with all with, along with the Kansas, yeah. Missouri, Kansas State stuff. Um, so, yeah, I think there'll be a lot of locals who aren't you know, locals who aren't Chiefs fans will be wearing their jerseys down here because you know Absolutely. they can proudly wear them here. Well, yeah, it's one of the it's one of the few times that you probably feel like pull you it out be a closet. fan of a different team in Kansas City and not stand out for it. Yep. Sam, are you going to be over at the uh, NFL Experience doing the forty? Did I hear? I will not be. I heard oh. you would be though. Oh, no, like former it. former college hall I'm, of famer. I'm, I think. A little, I'm a little little uh, tightened up right now. <laughs> All right, let's take a break. God, we need one, uh, and we'll be right back. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Blair. There are several ways to access the Star Sports section. Let me tell you about a couple of them. There is Sports Pass. For $12.99 a month, you get unlimited digital access to all of the Star Sports content, including beat writing, columns, features, pretty much everything we write. The deal renews monthly until you tell us to cancel. For $159.99 a year, you get everything the Star has to offer digitally, including sports and the e-edition. Go to KansasCity.com and drop down to the bottom of the page where it says start a subscription for more information. Your support has never been more important. As always, thanks for reading and listening. We are back on Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast with Sam McDowell, Pete Radhoff, and Vahe Gregorian. We're talking, well, we just finished talking Chiefs and the NFL Draft coming to Kansas City. We have not had an opportunity to talk about some other Kansas City teams and so much news um, with these teams. Not all great. <laughs> In fact, uh, very little good about the other teams that are playing right now. Let's start with the Royals. Unless they win somehow win 12 games between now and tomorrow, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're woefully under 500 and um, not, not playing very well. How many, last time we talked, they were, I think we were they were coming off this the Frisco series where yeah. they won two. The only time I think this year they've won consecutive games. Mm-hmm. Um, and since we've talked, Chris Bubich's injury has um, you know, has been announced and revealed. So, what do we say? What can we say about the Royals? Is it? Um, I, I get, let me ask it this way: um, How much slack should we cut the Royals because of the newness of the general manager, the field manager, the coaching staff? And, um, and 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 still a, many many young players on this team. You know the thing that I think is complicated about this is that we know all those things kind of intellectually, but also we've we're in the middle of you know really year six of pretty much abject futility, right? And so we can we can spend some time you know dissecting how it got to this and why it's like this but really this and this is now about the third year in a row specifically i think where you feel like okay well there's supposed to be a little turn happening i mean now's the time that you know maybe you're not flipping the switch but you're moving the switch halfway up it's something something's just there to engage you and excite you and and we're not seeing that i mean i think that's the thing that's most disturbing is um they're just stranded in this kind of limbo where 
it's really hard to see anything tangible forming towards a, a better day ahead. We'll see spot moments. Boy, Vinny Pasquantino's hitting well. And, um, you know, gosh, really too bad about Bubich. I mean, he was, it looked like he was coming along before this happened. But I just find it hard to uh, feel where the energy base is. And maybe that's a little unfair for the, uh, the new staff because um, they've inherited a, a situation that still somehow is in transition. But uh, it's all to me, it's become all part and parcel of one thing. And that's the hard, part that's hard to get past. If you're a follower of the Royals, if you care about the Royals, you just continue to get not much to work with. And that's just I don't know. So I, I'm not really answering your actual question. I mean, how much slack should we give them? I, I don't I don't feel like Matt Quattaro should be on the clock or Brian Sweeney. I don't feel like it's like that. It's just where's it going and when? If we can agree that there is a different approach, a more analytical approach to this team, and you're dealing with players that came through a system that wasn't that way, isn't there a bit of an adjustment period that that, the, that we should allow for that? Um, you know, wh- wh- and what does it mean to be more analytical? I, to me, it just means playing the percentages. Uh, spending more time paying attention to the percentages and playing the percentages, first pitch strikes from pitchers, obviously is a big advantage. Um, and I would think that that would have been emphasized previously, but, uh, but now we hear more about it anyway, you know, not swinging pitches out of the strike zone, just simple things. Right. Um, but you know, the, 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 the Royals, uh, unless you're a first year player, and I don't think there is any on this team, they haven't, they haven't played that way. So I, I'm just trying to maybe come up with reasons why it, it, it is the way it is. And it must it probably sounds like excuses, but um, uh, but I'm trying to figure out why. Does you know, any, can anybody help me? Help well, me why. Find the, out why. The thing is, it's April 25th, and it feels like June 10th. I don't, <laughs> the season's only been four weeks, and they just have looked so awful. And the one thing they really couldn't do is get behind the eight ball, and they got behind two eight balls. I don't even know what's even worse than that. They're just so bad in so many ways. And you can hang your hat on the hard hit rate being so good for their hitters, but they still don't. They just they just don't seem to be able to. The young hitters, they sent um, Eaton down yesterday. And, I mean, that's what they've got to start doing with some of these guys, I think. You can't give them too long of a leash. I, I'm with Vi. Pasquantino looks like he's legit, and Bobby Witt Jr. shows flashes. You know, Sally's not hitting very well. Melendez shows flashes, but overall, he's still he's been under two hundred. Two hundred for the, the first struck month out of like season. half of his at bats, yeah. which is just wild. And, and then those games, those last two games against the Rangers, to finish that homestand, and Quatrero said it right. Well, you know, it was a close game in the fifth inning. Well, they both ended losing by eight runs. They lost so, those two games, twenty-five to five, <laughs> and but a close game in and, the fifth. And that, yeah, and I look. This is. I really would be interested to hear what you guys say about this. I mean, I really like Matt Quattrao, and I, I definitely really respect him, and I totally understand that part of his appeal is, you know, a little bit of the, the, the data stuff, right, but but also his calmness. But it it folds into this feeling like that – Sam, I think you said this to me the other day. Uh, it, you know, the, the intensity feels like a spring training game. And I feel like that that's – that's what reverberates to me. And I get that what matters from him is his message to the players. 
but I also think the public could stand to feel like this is this is not acceptable. And it's not that he's trying to say that. He just certainly doesn't think it's acceptable. I'm sure he's quite upset. But the overall sort of aura of it feels like, eh. And I, I know that's not what he's trying to do, but it just it, it kind of comes with that territory to me. He showed a little emotion last night. Yeah, with the uh, strike. The strike call. Or that the was the ball. first I mean, time yeah. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah the, the, the call. The first game of the Arizona series, um, which hopefully we'll see a little more of that. I, I'm with you, Bahe. Hey, there needs to be a little... Uh, I'm not going to see a, a food table overturned. No. No, I mean, that's that's the guy they hired. I mean, they hired yeah. him yeah. specifically For this reason. because of this quality. And I think it would come in handy more if the team was like 40 and 40, and then they go 5 and 16. And, like, that's the stretch where you need to, to – in order to get things back on track. But there's no track here that the Royals are reverting to. Like, this is all we know about this group is that they're 5 and 16. And at some point, I think somebody in the organization needs to deliver a public message that says this is not okay. It's not acceptable to be five and 16. And we haven't heard that from the owner. We haven't heard that from the front office yet. We haven't heard it from the manager yet. And so now this organization's message to the community right now is that they'll work through it. And we don't have the evidence yet to suggest that they will work through it. You mentioned the chase rate and the analytical stuff. They lead baseball in chasing pitches as a hitting staff. That goes against analytics. It which, frustrates me to no end. Yeah, I mean, Alex Zumwalt has preached the fact that his job is getting guys to identify what pitches they do damage on and to swing at those pitches. That's not what they're doing right now. Have never done it. Their pitching, their pitching staff's total output is worse than it was a year ago. Mm-hmm. And I think they have the right people in place to fix that. But when we, we go through all these reasons for why things aren't working, and that's what this staff did when you're a new staff, eventually we just have to, I think, identify that they don't have the talent that these other organizations do. It's it's a talent uh, yes. deprivation issue. And to what Vahe said earlier, I think then the next worry becomes, is this a group that's going to ever take the next step? Or are they going to have to recoil this thing all over again? And that's... If, if nothing else, if they get nothing else out of this season, if they lose 97 games again this season, they have to answer that question at minimum. Do you think that the, this being J.J.'s first draft in charge, this is a really big one for him? Yeah, I don't it, – it's – so I, I think the draft stuff was really interesting because when we look at a lot of the changes the Royals made, that's kind of the one where a lot stayed the same, right? I mean, they had the same scouts – in place, the same scouting director in place. And the Royals either aren't drafting well or they're not developing well or both. And they have to identify where where the connection is not happening there, whether they're identifying the right guys and they haven't been able to develop them. But it's not as though we're seeing a lot of their guys suddenly turn it on when they leave the Royals. I know Jacob Junis was a story last year. Everybody has anecdotal examples, but just consistent examples. I don't think we've seen a lot of Royals prospects that are suddenly turning it on for other teams. I think if Montessi did for the Red Sox, that would probably be concerning. But we're not seeing a ton of those examples, which I think should prompt the Royals to think, are we drafting? the right players. How are we identifying the talent? And you mentioned analytics. I don't know how much the Royals were using analytics and and their scouting. I think it's a layer of the, you know, the whole file folder of a player. I think 
the analytics and what the scout sees with his eye folds into that same thing. I've talked to some Royal Scouts recently about, and they're on board. Pete and I talked to one in, in a dugout, and they're totally on board with the analytics. You know, his philosophy was the more information I can have, the better. That's how analytics should be viewed. I've always thought analytics should just be called information because that's what it is. Why wouldn't you want more information? I think it's common sense. Yeah, I do. First pitch strikes. Oh, really? Right. You know, uh, not swinging it, not chasing pitches. Really? Of course. But other teams do it better than the Royals, and that, I think it speaks to your thought that it's there is a. It, we have to look at the talent, the yeah, talent level. Yeah. But that's that's the one thing. So the, the first pitch strikes is actually, I think, if you're if you want to be optimistic about the changes the Royals have made, because we heard Mike Matheny talk about first pitch strikes for two years. This group came in and said, yes, first pitch strikes, but here's how we're going to accomplish mm -hmm. that. It's going to be more than just telling guys to throw first pitch strikes. It's going to be the catcher moving close to the plate. It's going to be the catcher not moving from side to side. Framing it's going it to be, better. Yeah, right? it's going to be telling the catcher, telling the pitcher to just throw the ball to the middle of the plate because you usually miss by six or eight inches. Like there was a, a identification of the problem and solution. And that is what I think makes me think that they at least have the right coaches and the right processes in place which all points back to the same thing that we've said is that it might be a talent issue okay on that optimistic note um <laughs> it just kind of lingers in the air <laughs> might be a talent issue <laughs> um these are the conversations i have between us all the time <laughs> whenever you guys send me all your stories it's just like it might be a talent issue <laughs> oh. um <laughs> a couple of soccer teams have started their seasons. Um, one still looking for its first victory. We'll talk about Sporting Kansas City in a second. But I want to talk about the Kansas City Current first. Uh, it, it won two straight games, right? They won a league game and then a game in the in the Challenge Cup series. So uh, good for the Current to get things turned around after losing their first three, I think it was three uh, games. They did, yeah, two, first three. three. But they're doing it with a new coach, an interim coach. Uh, because Matt Potter, the, the head coach, uh, was fired on the team uh, after the team had landed in Houston to play its first Challenge Cup game. So quite an unusual circumstance for the Kansas City Current. Listen, teams in all sports change coaches during the season for various reasons and various degrees of success uh, that the team is having all the time, all the time, right? But professional teams, teams that play at the highest level of their sport, tend to explain the reasons for the move uh, not long after it happens. That was not the case with the Kansas City Current. A, uh, Vahe, you know I'm looking at you. I'm going to talk to you about this because you wrote wonderfully about it. Um, this is a, an organization that does so many things very well and is admirable in so many different ways. Um, but they... You know, there's a handball on this one, I think. Yeah, there's, there's, it, it, I guess we'll focus just on this, this component of it, but maybe talk about the, the broader part too. You know, so this firing is announced by email less than five hours before their match. And, um, there's a very vague statement in there about basically that coach Matt Potter, um, was, not in sync with the organization. I, I'm not using the right words. I just can't quite remember the quote, but, but it was, it was quite vague. And there was, you know, sort of a even more 
vague uh, quote from uh, from Camille, the general manager, and you're left to think we don't know what's happening with this this team, which is you know become an emerging part of a Kansas City landscape, and but within a sport that has received some scrutiny for the the way it is dealt with protecting women and all these sorts of things. So there was no insinuation that, that there was something inappropriate with Matt Potter. On the other hand, there was no explanation that it made it concrete that that wasn't an issue. So that hovered. And the other aspect of it that was, I think, uncomfortable and disconcerting was after the game, the interim coach and two players were the ones left to speak to this. And that's just not, it's just not an appropriate way to address it. Um, and by the way, they did great. I mean, I thought they 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 were uh, as candid as could be. They answered questions the best they could after a, a really crazy day. Um, but it wasn't until forty eight hours after the announcement, basically, that the current uh, you know made the general manager available. And I think uh, while she was a bit guarded and um, kind of carefully parsed a lot of the terms, there was an explicit point made that you know there were no issues with players and I, my thought was if she had said these things Wednesday night you know it it's stories kind of come and gone I mean for lack of a better term right not that we wouldn't want to learn more but but instead it became sort of a five-day news window about something that really this organization is so outstanding in so many ways this this ought not to be a glitch in their game I mean they just they're very forward-thinking and literally and figuratively groundbreaking with the new stadium. Um, so I think it it struck struck me as an opportunity to just write something about that, and uh, had some good dialogue with the club since then. And hopefully, we'll be you know working on something more to you know speak to all the situations in the coming days. So the current seems to do everything well except change coaches. <laughs> well, and they've had to do a little more of that than than you might want them to do. And you know, we're in the third year of their of existence. existence. Right. So I've was, I was changed coaches twice. Right. Um, let's switch to Sporting Kansas City uh, to, to wrap it up. Uh, I, I can't imagine, and never my wildest dreams would I think that uh, what I've thought that um, Peter Vermees coach team would get off to a start this poorly. Now let's uh, we, we um, they are winless in MLS play uh we are recording this on tuesday and tonight they they play in the u.s open cup against tulsa so uh we as we speak we don't have the result of that game but they are winless is it seven games or eight uh whatever it is in in mls play they lost to new england uh, is it nine it's nine. Oh it was, my gosh six and, that was, was given them, three. Was that was given them the benefit of the doubt uh, Nine. Oh my gosh! Uh, we're more than twenty five percent of the way through the season. <laughs> yeah, if they don't, they don't win tonight. That'll be a giant red flag. I mean, they, right. they better. I mean, I know you don't take the Open Cup isn't that different. Teams view it differently. Obviously, some really put a lot of emphasis on it. But if they can't win tonight, I forget who they're playing. But it's, Tulsa. Tulsa. Yeah, and it's this was a game that a year ago they played an Omaha team and scored like seven goals or something. Yeah. He just trounced them. Uh, but o- offense has been a big problem. For, for this team, getting goals, and now they've suffered a, a major injury to a goal scorer. Um, yeah. what, what can you say about sporting? And um, where this 
you can, even though they, they, um, they've expanded the league and so the, the playoff uh, bracket's been expanded, but I can see no path to the postseason for, for, for this club. And, and this is after getting Alan Polito back. And um, it, it's, it's just hard to believe that this team can have this record. Yeah, I mean, there's honestly, because like you mentioned, nine teams are going to factor into the playoffs. Like, there's time to, to make this up. But for so long, a year and a half now, they've been talking about the reason that the results haven't been there is because the injuries that they're going through. And there is some legitimacy to that in the sense that Alan Polito and Gotti Keend are their two highest paid players, and they've missed all of last year. Polito's finally back now. Kinda's probably going to play in this next match. And so, yeah, you're missing without your two best players. But I was on that beat for five years, and the most consistent thing I heard was this club is bigger than one or two players. They tr- they used that reasoning when they traded Dom Dwyer. They used that reasoning when they traded Ike Parr. This club has never – when they got transferred Kai Kamara, this, this club has never been about just one or two guys. But then they used – one or two guys' absences is the reasoning for the why the results haven't been there. Well, now they're getting those guys back. And so you're with the, the problem with consistently using that excuse is once you're absent that excuse, you have nothing left to point to for why the results aren't there. So this rest of the season, they're out of excuses for why the results can't be there. And I personally don't think that having one or even back-to-back bad years is this full-on indictment of the whole guy in charge with Peter Vermees, but I think it should prompt them to reassess the entire process of, you know, he's, they have owners' meetings. The The guys who are in charge of the sporting directors, as, as the phrase that Sporting Kansas City uses, other teams call their technical directors, some call their GM, there's only two coaches that sit in on that meeting. It's Bruce Arena and Peter Vermees. The rest have those jobs split up now. It's the same reason that Andy Reid left Philadelphia and didn't get both jobs here. At some point, that job, I think, needs to be separated. And if Sporting doesn't get the results with the players he brought in, the players he's managing, I think there's naturally it needs to be changes somewhere in the pipeline. I can remember um, us talking to Peter Vermees and. Uh, in Arizona back in February uh, at the Super Bowl. They were, yeah. Sporting was training down there as well, and Graham Zussi was there and uh, a couple other players. And they they were, everybody was, as, as most teams are at that time of year, optimistic and feeling upbeat about this season. Um, it's it's unfathomable, really, to, to see this team get off to the start. Um, it's such, you know, again, it's, it's just not unlike the current, it's an admirable organization they do so many things so well, um, but and, and they've had great success. I mean, what was it, 11 out of 12 years, whatever it was in the playoffs? Just eight or nine in a row. And yeah. that, that is what makes it – I mean, look, I, like I mentioned, I covered the team for like five and a half, maybe six seasons. It's really unusual for me to imagine it, being around that team every day. I mean, because when I covered the team, Don Garber came to town and called it the model franchise. Right, the commissioner, the MLS commissioner. Yeah. And I think a lot of the expansion teams viewed it that way. I remember when Mike Jacobs got the job in Nashville as their GM, he said, we're trying to be sporting Kansas City East. Like, they were seen as the way to do it. Hey, we get the World Cup here in three years. Yeah. In part because of that franchise. And how, yeah. how well that that franchise has um, been operated and the success it's had on the field. That's, you know, sporting was the first 
organization to call Kansas City the soccer capital of America, right, and, and promote that. And it's paid off in a big way. So that, that adds to the, I think, to the pain of the start of this, this season. So I do think there's time to turn it around. I'm going to get this on the record. They're only six points out of a playoff spot. Yeah, moving closer to me. I, you know, if they get a couple wins, if it does turn around, they've had some bad luck too, some red cards in their, some of their games that just sink their chances of coming back and they fall behind. Not saying they're going to make it. I'm saying they can make it. <laughs> Pete guarantees playoff spot for what a headline. All right. Guys, thanks so much for the conversation. And let's not wait so long to have another one. Thanks. <laughs> That'll do it for today. Thanks to our Sportsbeat KC production crew of Randy Mason, Monty Davis, Jeff Rosen, tip of the cap to Vahe Gregorian, Sam McDowell, and Pete Gradhoff for sharing their insights. Morning Sports Edition, my favorite digital sports page, will be yours too. Check it out at liveedition.kansascity.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another Sportsbeat KC, where we talk sports in Kansas City every day.